This week on the audio podcast, episode 71, Max, Motu scores, we go sound card crazy, Scott gets completely overexcited about a story. And uh, Adam tries to think of a, a fizzy drink that he just can't remember the name of. There's also fraggles, shotguns, and a whole load more this week on the audio podcast. It's uh, Monday the 24th of September. This is the audio podcast. We're running later than usual at 9pm. We are going to be running later than usual and I suspect the day is going to change real soon as well. But those decisions haven't been made. Um, I'm Scott Hewitt, as always. This week, uh, Sam Freeman's not with us. So it's a change of personnel again. That's right, it's... Adam Yanch. You know everybody. Hello everybody, how are you doing? Hello Um, Adam. Hello Scott. And yes... The audio cod past. The audio podcast is back. Um, this is season the, the third episode of this new season, I do believe. And yes. our uh, show title is Max Motu Scores. Oh, nice. So uh, we, you can have a guess at what we're going to talk about, but you don't need to guess because you could actually go and have a look at our show notes, which are on the audio podcast website right now at theaudiopodcast.co.uk so you can follow them along with us um what is the first story scott okay well our first story today is a some new objects released for max msp or uh, for max six uh, which is the note tilder objects so um note tilder is a a new set of objects there's three note tilder note dot event editor and note dot score and note dot time that's up to four, um, which are uh, kind of new, powerful composition tools, which um, give Max a, a more native understanding of the ideas of notation inside it. So, yay! Th- this is a way of combining door functionality into Max without having to build door functionality. Well, you say now, you say door functionality, but is it really? Does it has a it has a, a piano role as well, doesn't it? Well, it it has a piano role, but it also has a MIDI sequencer as well. Ah, there always was a sequencer, though it was a bit arcane to use. So I guess this one is a kind of up-to-date, bling, kind of, yeah, much better kind of version. It It is, yeah, but I, whenever I see these projects, I always wonder if it's they're maybe missing the point of, in a of way. Max, you mean? Of Max, yeah. Yeah, because you could build you could build yourself a sequencer which would do anything you wanted it to do in Max and make it exactly as you wanted it to be. But instead, using these kind of you know kind of add-ons to it, you're basically taking their functionality and just using it, which is essentially what you're doing in any sort of sequencer anyway. And then the arguments of you might as well have a sequencer written in a high level, you know, written in a high level, you know. In, in the right kind of level of language with a lot more accuracy and a lot more precision without the hassle of Max as well and have that do the, you know, go for something like that instead. Well, but, I know, I know what you're talking about, but that, that level of programming uh, for audio doesn't really exist. That includes these things. It doesn't include a note editor or those, these kinds of tools that have just been added to Max. I see where you're coming from with, with your argument there. Though I think it's, 
um, you can always still do that if you really wanted to design a revolutionary sequencer that it wasn't like any other sequencer before. You can still do that in Max, and you don't have to use the new objects. I see them as convenience objects. Um, I need a, a quick way of putting some notes up on the screen or being able to edit notes or something like that. And here you go. You don't have to go and build it laboriously and take, you know, it could take a, a week or more to build something like that just so that you could add it to this other project that you wanted to work on in the first place. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pro this. I think it's not a bad move. Well, yeah, definitely so. Um, an interesting element of the whole thing is that it has been built to be integrated into Max. So you get a you get the graphical user interface, but you also get a scripting interface and feedback and you know kind of patcher attributes and all that stuff. So it's you know I mean it, it feels like it's a much more polished item. And well, it, it's designed the, the, to be ex extended by the Max objects themselves that you can normally work with. So the old school sequencer side of Max was really quite like early '90s, really like the SEQ object, seek object. Yeah, and I think. There might have been, a, oh, it's the timeline mechanism, but that was more putting a new timeline um, transport mechanism within the whole program itself, and that came through in Max 5, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that was very useful, but I think uh, th this is the kind of obvious next step and to make Max maybe more approachable for those who are not so based in Max and are more used to the DAW-type environment. But yes, um, so that's extra uh, objects for Max 6. Are these free to download? I.e., if you update your Max version and you already have 6, you don't have to like pay extra to get these? No, they do. these are... Um... Uh, the, the it's a beta release at the moment, which is free to download. You can get them at noteformax.net. Uh, we have that link, obviously, off our show notes at the theaudiopodcast.co.uk. And they have a Vimeo video as well, which kind of gives a demonstration of the workflow of it as well. So um, it's free to try and free to play with. So, you know, yeah. there's no harm in checking out the beta and seeing what you think of it. Um, so, well, yeah. Anyone I think it's interested, head there and uh, download it and try it out. Now, that's, a, it out. that's an extension to Max MSP, a kind of step up from something else. In the uh, audio world, we are currently going through a step through different kinds of connector standard. You know, we started with Firewire and USB. Well, actually, we started before that. We started with PCI cards. Um, PCI cards. No, well, even before that, we started with ISA cards. Oh, the good uh, old ISA card. Or oh, yeah. new bus cards, if you're on, a, if you're on an old school Mac. PCI nice. cards. Um, USB, Firewire. Um, USB 2, Firewire 800, and now we're at a kind of new level. We've got USB 3 coming through faster on the PC side than on the Mac side, but the Mac, of course, has got the new Thunderbolt port and uh, standard, and we've got some interesting news about Universal Audio providing support for Thunderbolt. Yeah, so the Apollo, um, the Apollo sound card... Um, now comes with a Thunderbolt option card. So you can put the Thunderbolt option card and then connect over Thunderbolt. Not only does that allow you to run the sound card over Thunderbolt, but it actually then converts the Firewire ports on the sound card 
into kind of pass-through hubs from the front from the Thunderbolt interface. So you can actually go from Thunderbolt into, you know, to it, but then connect FireWire 800 devices directly back to it as well. So mm. it struck me that that's actually quite a useful additional feature that it offers as well. Um, I love those little kinds of feature. It's like, it's like say, for example, the RME Fireface uh, UFX car, um, audio interface, which, you know... It has a, a USB connection and all this, but and, and uh, but you can actually use it as a way of just recording to a memory stick or um, these kinds of things. These little kind of little links that uh, the audio card makers are are starting to put in. Because what is it all but just data that's going along a cable? And you know, the higher you abstract it up, the the easier it is to link things together. So that's a really nice little feature. A, an inbuilt, effectively an inbuilt Thunderbolt to Firewire um, hub within your sound card. Though you have to have this sound card for that to work at the moment. I'm sure uh, others will utilize the same little link through. It's a, it's a nice idea. Um, how, uh, this is an option card, so how, yeah. how much does it cost? I, I didn't check that bit, but I suspect it would be a, a chunk of money. As, as <laughs> the Apollo interfaces are a chunk of money as well. So there you go, audio podcast. Say it's going to be a chunk of money. I like that because it's kind of it's kind of specific, but also very vague at the same time. Um, there's also a, a create digital music article connected to this, which is about USB three. Um, can you can you fill us in on that, Scott? Yeah, well, the the CDM article is actually about the Thunderbolt um, the Thunderbolt option card, but I, as CDM often do, they you know. They're talking about some of the issues associated with it, and they, they make a couple of assessments, which I, I thought were quite interesting. So basically, the premise, they, the premise they were arguing for was to say that Thunderbolt will end up as will end up being the kind of professional default standard. I would suggest to you probably in the way that Firewire 800 and Firewire 400 currently are. And yes, I see that happening. Why do I see that happening? Purely because Apple have removed Firewire and put Thunderbolt on, and anybody who's in the professional space and doesn't want to rely on USB is going to have to go Thunderbolt. That's, that's a decision you're not really going to have a choice about. That's, been, that's a decision that's now been made. Um, well, and yeah, like the, the, the iMacs still have both kinds of ports. It's the laptops that are now Thunderbolt only. That's and true. Can, but... And you can still plug with the correct interconnector cable or hub. You can still connect a do those exist yet? It's, a, it's been a running thing on the audio podcast that. What well, is the, the you you forget that the twenty seven inch cinema display exists, which provides Thunderbolt to FireWire, and now we have the, uh, you know, the Apollo Air Thunderbolt Option Card, which also provides this functionality. Mm, I but wonder neither which of is them cheaper. are going to, you know, which is cheaper, oh yes, precisely the the twenty seven inch Thunderbolt uh, cinema display adapter with some kind of <laughs> a fire FireWire interface or. The Apollo, the, the Universal Audio Apollo with the with the card. That'll be an interesting one. We should come back to that next week or something like that. I think that'll be kind of fun. Well, some, so, uh, so yes, but, uh, upgrade card for Universal Audio um, yeah. Apollo to run Thunderbolt. Yeah. But the, the point the point they're making the point they make at the end of the article is actually to say that if we consider FireWire dead, then it actually puts USB 3 into a, into a kind of position of irrelevance from an audio point of view. Mm. Their, argue, their argument being that USB 2 can, hand, 
can handle to a satisfactory level 24-bit 96K. So then why would we need anything, you know, what, what does USB 3.0 offer that we would need? Well, the great thing about the USB standard so far is it's been very backward compatible as far as the, certainly the physicality of the interface. So you don't really necessarily notice the jump. Mm. The jump between USB 2.0 and USB 1.0 speeds was significant because there was such a large jump up. But yes, we're at a point now where you wouldn't notice the difference between USB 3.0 and 2.0. But, you know, in five years' time, USB 3.0 will be on the motherboards of PCs. And don't forget, people make music on PCs as well as Macs. So there will be USB 3.0 on these. And people, you know, the the manufacturers will make USB 3.0 cards. They might as well, because you match it up, you might as well do it. That's what I say. Oh, oh, certainly so, but I think the point is that even when USB 3.0 turns up, maybe we won't actually be able to make use of it. People just won't make use of it because they won't need the data throughput that USB 3.0 offers. It, it's the same argument, which is why FireWire 800 really struggled to take traction, because you went from FireWire 400 arguably w- would shift more audio than most people ever needed it to, and FireWire, FireWire 800 doubled that limit, which was great for people with big hard drives or doing HD video, but for the average kind of audio person, shifting 16 channels of audio in each direction was, you know, was a step that wasn't required, so. Well, yes, and what you'd want more of is raw processor power so you can run more plugins. Uh, But also factor in that the FireWire 800 port is a different physical connector to the FireWire 400 port, so there's an extra bit of... It's more difficult for the manufacturers because they have to redesign that whole ele- the electronic side and the software side. It's more of a, a difficulty for us, the consumer, because we either have to find the connector cable or get a whole new card yeah. to put in the computer or whatever. And also, don't forget, there's still that there was that the, the four-pin firewire as well, which was more popular on the PC side of things. They tended to use the four pin rather than the six pin firewire. So I think it's a little bit cloudy with firewire, but USB three, the connectors are the same and you know, you've been able to go out to PC World and buy a USB three hard drive for easily a year or longer and you just get, you'll just know that you'll buy the USB three hard drive and there won't be a problem yeah. connecting it to the USB two. So uh, when I think when the audio manufacturers come to redesign their cards, because they will have to at some point, they'll, they'll they're going to put USB three in. Aren't they will put USB three in because that's what's there. That's the current USB technology. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, um, musings musings of the data, the data transfer of audio, ooh, from uh, well, from Newbus and ISA all the way up to Thunderbolt. Ta-da. It's a, it's a shame we didn't talk about PCMI, PCMIA or Express there. Express card, wasn't it? I forgot about uh, Express 34, the, the well-known and very well-used Express 34 slots. That, uh, <laughs> I actually did have a computer that had one of those. But did I you ever use, use it? No, I never used the card. There I did go. use the computer. Oh, wow. Wowzers. Well, let's uh, segue away from sound cards, but just momentarily. We'll return to them in a moment. And uh, just mention iShotgun. 
which is uh, it's it's a new uh, it's a new model of shotgun that has an electronic link between the shotgun and the computer, and it can tell you how fast your bullets are going, how your your uh, your firing rate, and also. Um, when you need to reload. So it's kind of a bit like a first-person shooter, but in a real gun. Or it's a, uh, it's, it's a plug-in for your iOS device, which allows you to make recordings with a shotgun microphone. Ah, yes. It's that too. Yep. There we go. Um, I, I, that, I, that was a bit of a joke. I was going back to the old two weeks ago when uh, we were talking about uh, shotgun recording techniques, and I thought it was... Shotgun samples. You never did find a shotgun sample library, Scott. I'm surprised. Did, did I not? Oh, I will. I will strive to resolve that in the very near future. I have a feeling that you've already done one though, ages ago, many, many shows ago. Yeah, I, it's the kind of thing that would have caught my attention. We did. I know we've done guns. I think when we had the sound recorders done, we we spoke about he he had done a sound library of guns fairly recently to that interview back. Back in the past, wherever in, you know, in, in the in the, the gin-addled past of the audio podcast, now where we 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 just drink tea and juice. I've got a, a nice uh, cranberry juice here. I'm I'm juice. enjoying a an, an iron brew. Um, oh, you're so northern, Scott. You're so iron brew. I I have been drinking. Um, uh, what's that one that's not Tizer that's still orange, or maybe it's not orange. I can't remember. Anyway. That's uh, that's that's fizzy drinks. For fizzy drinks, um, tune into the fizzy drinks podcast, which is first episode starts next week. Um, you'll get more information about that somehow. Um, let's move on to more <laughs> audio related uh, so, things. We're going to go back to we're going back to sound cards, to and sound this cards. is this is exciting. I I'm actually. We do this show every week, and some weeks you may people may. I hope people don't notice and don't find it too off-putting. But I'm not always completely psyched about every, you know, all the items in every show because <laughs> some stuff's not for me. Some stuff is, you know, it's of interest. In particular, the eye shotgun. Yes. However, this is awesome. So we reported back that this was under development a few months ago, back in the last season, and it's now actually been rolled. And Motu have rolled out OSC support inside QMix. So what this means is if you've got a Motu sound card, which runs QMix, you can OSC into the QMix, QMix application and change the parameters of the mixer over OSC. Amazing. Now, what they've actually done is roll out an interface layer inside Touch OSC, so you can run Touch OSC on an iPad and use that to do the control of it. And, and that's cool. Lots of people have iPad apps for their thing. The thing that really excited me, though, is the fact that it is an open sound control layer, which means that I suspect in the near future, it's when I'm going to look at, it only it rolled very recently, I haven't had time yet, I'm going to have a look at that, is the fact that you'll probably be able to develop your own custom things to create the OSC messages to do the actual OSC manipulation to do the controls as well. So I think this is absolutely awesome news. I'm really, really excited about it. This is like remote we're at the point now where we could have remote network attached mixing from around the world for a custom interface onto rock solid motu hardware and that actually excites me as somebody with lots of motu cards i am really 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 psyched about this about this a long standing motu customer and user yeah well 
and and this is the thing because a lot of people be like, well, long-standing, whatever. It's a new feature. This is this is what I love about Motu. This is classic Motu. Let me read you the supported hardware. Any Mark III Motu audio interface. So that's pretty impressive, yeah. Any Mark III, eight, there's eight to eight Mark Threes are a couple of years old. It gets better. Any Mark II Motu audio interface. So Amazing. That that is like ten year old sound cards now. That's true, actually. Even older because I had. As I've said before on the audio podcast, I had a 2408 Mark II. When did I have that? I had that... 99? No, not 99. 2001, maybe? So, yeah, 10 years and older. 10 years and older. Amazing. Well, it it is amazing because if you... I I know there's lots of people who have, like, um, you know... Mark II 828s lying around because they just don't die and eventually, you know, you might need something different or you get sick of carrying the racks or stuff like that. But th- this is like, I- I've been thinking about whether I was, I've been thinking about selling my 828 Mark II, not because it doesn't work, just just because it sees limited use at the moment because I use other things to do other jobs now. But there's no way I'm going to sell it now because of the fact that with this, you know, solution in place, I'll be able to use this as a remote mixer. Um, you know, I've got a couple of projects coming up where being able to remote control a mixer over a network connection is going to be really useful. So, you know, I'm really excited about this functionality. And um, just for completeness, uh, 896 HDs, ultralights, travelers, for pre's, the Audio Express, Microbook, Microbook 2, PCI 424 core systems, and Track 16. So it, it really is like, that is an, if you consider how, how frequently other manufacturers end of life their hardware, that is an impressive achievement by Motu that they are, not only do they continue to support this hardware, but this is actually like a massive application, a massive functionality upgrade to it all as well. Just coming through as a driver. Which So thumbs up to Motu. Thumbs up, Motu. Two thumbs up. I, I would put two <laughs> thumbs up, but I've got my other hand in my pocket. So I'm just being lazy. <laughs> in, in terms of implementation, one thing that's probably worth pointing out just to people here is that what you're doing is you're OSCing into the QMix app running on the computer, which is then connected via FireWire or USB to the sound card. So this isn't, you can't just put your sound card somewhere and control it. You do need to have a laptop connected to it and you do need to have a wireless network set up as well or some network connection to it set up as well. So it's not quite a, you know, you know, it's, it's not a complete seamless, just put the box somewhere and you can drive it like, you know, maybe the kind of, some of the kind of, you know, iLive systems and things like that we've spoken about in the past. But nonetheless, I think it's a really cool kind of extra. Um, it's available now and more details are available online from Motu. If, as always, you can get the link through, um, you know, the audiopodcast.co.uk. Exactly. And the other thing you can get through the audiopodcast.co.uk is a link to a very interesting company that makes some very interesting products. Um I was drawn on to this this week from uh, reading last month's Sound on Sound. It's the Mutable Instruments um, Sharuthi, which uh, that's one of one of these products. Um, what min- uh, what uh, Mutable Instruments do is they make um, kits, electronic kits that you can build yourself, DIY kinds of things. Um, but that are like compelling. And what the Sharuthi is, is it's actually a, a hybrid digital analog synthesizer that you can build yourself. Um, and then when you have it built, you can 
put it in your own case. You can get special cases made. Um, you can build different filter boards or different expansion packs that you can buy uh, alongside or afterwards and plug those in. So it's kind of uh, mix and match in a kind of uh, semi-modular way. You'll have to unplug something or unsolder something and um, replace mm. it with the other parts. But uh, it, the Sound on Sound review was very complimentary about the the actual synth when it was built. They said that the synth was very easy to build. You didn't have to be an electronics expert to do it. Um, the, the Basically, the way it works is you have the digital side, which is the oscillators. So you have a huge range of, of oscillators that you can choose from that are digital or can be waveform-based like a PPG. That then runs through some analog electronics, the filter... The, I think the VCA as well um, and it's all MIDI controllable as well mm. so you get the MIDI side of it in too and then you get all the fun of, of customising it and building your own case or getting someone to build a case for you or all these kinds of things so you can mod your rod, amazing that, That's awesome stuff, um, I know when you flagged it up to me as an item for consideration I was I was really interested in it and I was going to plunder it, but then I actually decided to upgrade it to a news item. And the reason for that was when I noticed that the firmware is under a GPL license and the schematics for it are actually released under a Creative Commons license as well. So this is, you know, hardware and software being done under kind of permissive licenses, which is exciting, it's which is exciting that, as well. That, that is, is definitely condoned here at the Audio Podcast. You GPL. know it is. Uh, free stuff, all sorts of free, uh, especially if it's free Tizer for Scott. Iron free Brew. Iron brew for, free Iron Brew for Scott, and a tea's fine for me. Tea's fine for me. So, uh, yes, Musical Instruments, uh, Sharuthi. Ha take a look at that, because actually the synthesizer itself is not very expensive for what you get, mm. and I'm very likely to, to be buying one because not only... Do I like the look of the synth? But I love building electronic stuff, so it should be really fun. So anyway, yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, also check out the Sound on Sound review of that for more information. Um, yes. So uh, leaving behind the simplest simps that could possibly rock into uh, the ever-going rocky terrain, which is the music industry. Um, EMI and Universal have finally been given permission by by both the EU and US authorities to merge together. So, however, it's not quite as simple as that, is it, Scott? No, they they've been instructed to sell off some properties that they own. So, Parlophone, Chrysler, Mute, Sanctuary, and Co-op labels are are all to be sold as a condition of the deal. Um, I find it interesting because I kind of wonder who's going to buy them actually, but. Um, I'm sure they must have a buyer somewhere or maybe they just have to sell them for anything they can get them for and hence they will get a buyer because they'll be very cheap. Well, but, let's um, see because, I mean, I know that Parlophone, like all the old Radiohead stuff was on Parlophone, but there are lots of, I noticed there's lots of mid-90s indie bands, including I think like Supergrass and some other uh, of those kinds of bands who are signed to Parlophone. Yeah. So... Uh, the name, at least, is very significant. And I think the other, those other sub-companies, um, subsidiaries, I suppose is the correct word, mm. uh, will also have a significant legacy as far as 
the records that they released and the artists they had involved with them. So even yeah. just as a brand, I'd I would say that those ones that you put there, there'll be more, won't there? There's not just those four, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, very the true. The interesting um, question is who is going to buy them because it's obviously EMI and Universal can't buy them. Yes, and they're, they're the two who have been doing most of the acquisition in this space for quite a while now. Um, it, it's interesting saying it, it, it does, the BBC article I linked to does kind of give some of those associations. So something that I'd completely failed to register having happened, which was that um, Sanctuary actually bought most of the pie back, back catalogue, which is obviously a lot of 1960s stuff. Um, and I think Sanctuary and, also might have been involved in buying some old Virgin stuff as well. Yep. Uh, a while back, I think uh, some of their catalogue has gone through quite a number of hands before it finally arrived there at Sanctuary, and now it's being moved on again. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it is true. It's also it's also interesting to remember that EMI was bought by its current owners because it failed. It defaulted by another on another company, so you know what I mean? EMI's had a rocky past recently. It's obviously not been kind of particularly stable. So, you know, EMI going under the wing of Universal, while a lot of people say that it's kind of putting them in a position of abuse, perhaps, in terms of, you know, kind of duopoly, you know, EMI isn't actually, hasn't actually been that profitable recently and that stable recently. So, um, you know, that's, that's another kind of aspect to it. it it's interesting, isn't it? Because, the the reason why there was such a kind of intense kind of antitrust review on the whole thing and kind of competition committee got involved is because they do themselves like acknowledge it that you know com I think the quote here is competition in, in the music business is crucial to preserve choice cultural diversity and innovation and and it's interesting how the music industry gets so much attention given to it in these matters when you consider the size of it in terms of kind of profitability and actual kind of market capitalization because these companies are not big companies anymore in the scheme of big companies you know it's but then universal are not just a, a music yeah. concern are they 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 they've got things running all the way through as would sony is it sony bmg get yeah. one of the other big players um I, I think there's probably a lot of cross fertilization uh across these kinds of things what i'm interested in really is no, maybe not. I mean, I don't really want to talk about effects because I, I couldn't say really what could the effects be. But I'm interested to see what might happen in the end because I think there are lots of small, maybe you could call them micro record labels that really have been given the opportunity to operate thanks mm. to... Um, the internet in particular, but ways of being able to get through to people that they just wouldn't have had access to before. And then technologies that allow them to disseminate their, uh, their products directly without having to go through all of this kind of all the red tape and all of the complications and all these kinds of things. I point out, as, as I've said before, I really love Bandcamp. Um, and I point out Bandcamp as a very interesting tool in that, um, you can just put a record label or an individual can just put their music up there. And it's a fairly good quality way of being able to 
showcase your work and also make some kind of money off it as well. Of course, that's only one part of the of the jigsaw. You need to be able to get your music out to people and promote it and know the right people to get it out to the people, that kind of thing. And that's kind of now what more the record company stands for, I think. Mm. It's more the engine that puts the the record out in front of people to get them to buy it and their ability to record things and to disseminate them is reduced in the age of uh, low low cost but high quality home studio equipment and yeah. the internet I, I i agree entirely i think the you you kind of see the activities of the major labels because they're the people that they're getting their artists into you know getting their tracks onto feature films and appearing you know in in, in the background of feature films or getting them kind of you know performed <laughs> on full TV on shows roles in feature films i.e. Rihanna yeah. but but that's what they're doing isn't it and I I do wonder if what we're seeing here is actually the last gasps of the the old style music industry trying to maintain some sort of relevance while pulling a huge financial burden behind it and you know, it, it makes sense that they would that they would end up consolidating together at this well, point. But exactly, I mean, I think I suppose what could end up happening almost. I, I don't think it would be allowed through antitrust concerns. But you know, you could foresee there being one giant major label, and then that could be half, and the other half are these small micro record labels that deal with niches very well. And that's the thing about the major labels is that maybe their ability to service the niches isn't, isn't as compelling for them. It's not something that returns enough money to really justify doing it. But that's what the, it's like microbreweries, you know, they really focus on one particular way of, of doing their thing and they put their products out in a very particular way. And I think, micro record companies or small very small record companies work in the same way they service a very small niche uh, genre style but they do it very well because they know that they are, they have a market and they can and actually yeah. that's that's really kind of going across a lot of a lot of kind of the business world it's not just in say breweries and record labels i think there's a lot of that happening right now so maybe we're in that kind of era. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Interesting indeed. Well, if you want to read more about it, you can do. The EU decision will also, you know, also exists. It's a big chunk of paper if you're interested in taking a look at that as well. So it's available, you know. I was hoping you were going to say the EU is is out there. You can go to the out EU, there. and <laughs> they'll tell you all about it. Anyway, back to the audio awesome. podcast. Remember, you can uh, get all your links, all your show notes for this episode, this uh, edition of the audio podcast, show 71, um, at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. And don't forget, we have a Twitter account as well, don't we, Scott? Yeah, yeah. At the audio podcast. Wow. Wow. I don't know how I'm going to remember that one. But what, well, I, what I'm certainly not going to know is the details about the next story because I haven't looked at it. So you're going to have to fill me in on this one, Scott. 
Well, when I look at this, I actually realize it's one that Sam Freeman's put up as well. So we're all running a little bit blind here. Uh, <laughs> Sam, Sam's not with Super us this evening. Um, at the last minute, he, uh, he, he, he was unavailable. So Adam stepped up, which was awesome as always. Um, so the website, which seems to have the, the essence of the story as always, which is fantastic, basically reminds us that Pulsar, for reason, by Propellerhead, is free as an introductory offer into the 1st of October. And that's for reason, so you can't just download that and use yeah. it. Yeah, no, you need it for reason, yeah. Uh -huh. All right, going back go. to those show notes then. Nothing free to download for me. <laughs> there you go. Um, wait a minute, let's see. Pulsar is a dedicated dual LFO for advanced routing and modulation possibilities. It's also a powerful oh. little symphony in its own right. For tweakers, Pulsar makes it every single thing in the rack a little bit better. That sounds very interesting. One thing that I kind of wished that my DAW had were modulation options and, and, and the ability to just plug a modulator directly into a, into a, an automation lane, but not have to draw it in and just have it being generated. And then you can set the big graphic or display. There's a sine wave. Oh, no, let's turn it more into a triangle wave or something like that. That's something that I've wanted in a DAW. And that kind of sounds like maybe what that is, but I'm not yeah. sure. I'm I, not sure. I, I, think you're, I think you're possibly right there, Adam. I'm also concerned that that was possibly a confession of a desire to have a bit of wobble in your life, which I'm slightly concerned about. Well, yeah, so it's always good to have a bit of wobble. No, no, the way I would yeah, do that well, in Logic, for example, would be to use the, uh, the tape delay plugin. Use a tape delay plugin. Small delay... Uh, increase the LFO, makes it a nice kind of Boards of canada style sound. Mm. But, you know, I'm sure the audio podcast listeners already knew that, so whatever. But uh, yeah. what I can, I can safely say right now is we have come to the end of the news. We have indeed. Oh, the news is over for this week. But before we go, we have time for the plunder. Wow. Arg for the plunder. So we have three items of plunder, uh, one of which is definitely plunder. The other two are kind of tenuous links, which I thought would qualify just because, uh, you know. There was no other plunder? <laughs> well, it wasn't. No, they were there first, but it's more as I enjoy almost complete editorial control over the show. Most of the time, I would just thought I'd put them in, so <laughs> I did it. Yeah, that's fine. Well, of course. That's, let's, that's let's, let's do it then. First, okay, so first item, please. The first one, soft tube have put another article up, which is all about uh, creative compression. Ooh. And the, the article, it's, it's a small read. It's very quick. You'll be able to read it in 10 minutes. But the thing that caught my eye about this is that they talk about compression in terms of attack and release rather than ratio. And they're talking about the creative uses of setting fast attacks and slow releases and the kind of productive like that. Which, which I thought was interesting because you read, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I teach compression and various things like that. And it's always compression is always about threshold and ratio. That's the main, they're the main things you talk about. And then you talk about the attack and release kind of smoothing out the effects of the compression where this article is actually talking about using the attack and release as creative tools to achieve certain things. So I, I thought it was very refreshing to read it. I enjoyed reading it. Hence, it became plunder. Refreshing like a glass of Tizer. I'm really glad we, we name our shows before we do them because 
I'd be worried <laughs> where we would go with this one here. Oh, this one would be called uh, Adam has Tizer on his mind or something. Um, and I, I'm not even thinking about the right drink. That's the thing. There's another drink that's that I've had recently that's not Tizer and it's not Iron Brew. And it's not even orange, probably, but I'll try and remember it before the end of the show. However, let's However. move on to the next uh, the next um, item. Now, those of you in the UK will know about the political situation here. We currently have a uh, coalition government, conservatives, liberal democrats. One half of this relationship is, well, the whole thing's out of favour with most people, it seems, but one half of it was supposed to help, and they're not, so uh, people are getting angry. Um, and uh, one of the politicians did a, a video to apologise for something that they said they'd do, and they didn't. And in true internet tradition, someone has gone and auto-tuned it. Yes. That's it, basically. That's it, basically. This is a, I think it's about three minutes of your life, and it's quite entertaining. If you're in the UK, it, you know, it, it will, it may well anger you and amuse you in equal measure at the same time, <laughs> which is what it did for me. So I put it there. I, I, I think we should move immediately on Adam because I don't want to, I, I don't want to make any political statement or anything like that. So that's fine, that's fine. from an audio yeah. podcast point of view, this is a creative and humorous use of auto-tune, which I'm sure people will find very funny to watch. Indeed. Um, can I just stop you for a second? Yeah, go for it. Vimto. Vimto. That's what he's looking for. That's, that's the drink I was thinking of, Vimto. Very nice. Very nice. Well, um, yeah. that has got nothing to do with the audio podcast at all. I've at just all. Had a, I've had a random thread running through my mind for the whole show. But uh, we're going to come crashing into the end of the show right now with our final plunder item. And it's got something to do with fraggles. Yes. So um, I have actually written this in the show notes that this is the most ridiculous bit of plunder ever. And it is. <laughs> um, so this is a music video with Ben Folds 5 and the fraggles from Fraggle Rock. I should have seen this because I love Ben Folds 5. I'm seeing Ben Folds 5 in Bristol in November. I hope they bring Fraggles with them. <laughs> the, the, say, the, I, I will report back and I'll say they did or they didn't yeah. when the, the time comes. This is absolutely fantastic. If I was a big fan of the Fraggles when I was young, so I think this is awesome. Um, in terms of anything to do with the audio podcast, it is a music video. Would, would that do for you? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I guess so. I hope I so, because that's what it is. The, the, have we done music videos like this before? No. No. Is there, is there something really good about the video that warrants its place? There's, uh, there's Fraggles in it. And you like Fraggles? Yes. Okay. I can kind of re basically vaguely remember Fraggle Rock. I mean, I, I used to watch it when I was young, but I can't really remember what it was about or anything. There you go. So there you go. There were also Expert some, insight. some Fraggles out. They're awesome. Expert insight from us at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Oh, well, well, the audio podcast and the websites at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. So there we go. We come to the end of the show, the end of all the items. Thank you for listening. Um, yes, indeed so. Uh, any ideas of next week? Are we on at the same time, same day? Um, let, let, let's say next week's going to be Monday at 9 p.m. Um, 
the audio podcast is likely to move days eventually, but we haven't really sat down and worked out when it would move to yet. So I managed to get back here in time for 9 p.m. today, and that included trees falling over train lines and stuff. So I suspect that I can probably get back here at 9 p.m. next week. So I'm going to let's go Monday, 9 p.m. next week for episode 72, and that'd be cool. And if you want to come watch us, that's cool. We're on, we stream live on YouTube. Uh, you can drop into the Hangout as well. Add the audio podcast to a Circle on Google Plus and let us know. And if you want to come on, and hey, we're, it's always fun to have random people drop in and out of shows. We haven't done that for a while. So maybe we could do that. And that'd be yeah. cool. And don't forget, you can always catch up with this show and previous shows at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. And you can sign up for the podcast through iTunes and probably some other uh, podcast style syndication Thanks. or something I, I don't know and you can watch the the video of the shows of the recent shows um, at YouTube as well and don't forget the Twitter the audio yeah. podcast it's awesome excellent stuff well I've been Scott here thanks a lot for listening everybody we'll see you next week I've been Adam Yanch I'll continue to be Adam Yanch and likely I'll see you next week as well thank you the internet goodbye